Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another good week. Pretty exciting night. I've got the most beautiful guests we've ever had on the podcast here tonight. To be fair, I've only had one other guest on the podcast and it was a guy. But that being said, my lovely wife is joining us tonight on the podcast. She probably won't talk much because she's a bit camera shy or microphone shy, but maybe we'll see if we can get her to say a few words. Say something. Hello. Okay. Got that out of the way. So starting off taking a look at the news, uh, we're going to look at the, we got March Madness going on right now. Uh, There's been some pretty good games over the weekend. The, I think probably my favorite one, I didn't even watch all the ending of it, was that Arizona TCU game. Uh, They hit that three-pointer in the last couple of seconds to send it into overtime and they would have won the game if the guy hadn't tried or if he'd just been a split second faster i think he missed the bucket by 0.1 seconds or something like that and the game ended and they went to overtime but i think t uh arizona ended up beating tcu 85 to 80 which i wanted arizona to win anyhow but there were some big ones that were knocked off um i think baylor got beat by unc uh, Michigan beat Tennessee, and I think Michigan was ranked 11th, and Tennessee was like third. So that was a pretty big upset. And the other thing with that Arizona TCU game, I think this is the first time that TCU has ever made it to the uh, Sweet 16, and they almost beat out the number one seeded team. So there were some pretty good games there. Uh, look, moving on to some other sports, the NCAA swimming is a joke now. Because they've got that guy who's beating all the girls in the swimming team. I think I'm going to take a motorcycle and join a bicycling event and say that I see myself as a bicyclist so I can set some new land speed records on a bicycle using a motorcycle. It's about the same thing. Um, Looking at football, we've got, uh, it looks like Mariota may end up signing with the Falcons. The Falcons got rid of... um, yeah, Matt Ryan, who was their franchise quarterback. And so now they're going with Mariota. There's rumors that Colin Kaepernick maybe ended up going to the Seahawks, oh. which will even circle them farther down the drain, especially in my book. Matt Ryan's supposed to go to the Colts. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to the Colts. Before they got a, like a third-round draft pick mm-hmm. out of the deal or something like that. And then the last thing that we look at for the news this time is we'll take a look at Ukraine again. And it's still a sad state of affairs, but I mean, you got to give it to those Ukrainian people. They're really putting their hurts. Well, they're, I mean, they're holding off Putin. So, I mean, if you looked at the troop numbers and stuff before the war even started, you'd think it would have been just a washout. But they're really holding up their defenses and hopefully. Uh, they can continue and ward the guy off. I see Zelensky's wanting a face-to-face meeting with Putin. And that would be kind of a scary situation if you think about it because Putin could have some guy hiding in the bushes or something and shoot him when he gets off the plane or whatever. So um, we'll see if that comes about or anything like that. And other than that, I don't really have much other news to talk about. You got anything that you want to talk about? Nope. News-wise? Okay, well, thanks for that. So, tonight we're getting into the next part of the song, 
which is British Beatlemania. And I'm going to tell you right off the get-go, this is going to be a trimmed down, trimmed down, trimmed down version. It's going to be so trimmed down it would make Jenny Craig jealous. <laughs> but uh, as everybody knows, they're probably the most iconic rock band of all time. And I know the lyrics say Beatlemania, but basically Beatlemania was just the fanaticism that was around this band in the 60s. So we're actually just going to talk about the Beatles because that's a little bit more interesting than a bunch of girls jumping up and down screaming. So let's get into it, see if I can do it a little bit of justice on uh, this band. Like I said, they you could probably do a whole podcast on pretty much every member of this band and then do another one on every album that they released and what came of it. So uh, we'll see if we can't do a little bit here. But starting off, there's this guy named John Lennon. I'm not sure if you heard of him before. But he was 16 years old, and he formed a group called the Blackjacks. And they ended up changing their name, actually, to the Quarrymen after they found out the Blackjacks was already being used by another band in the uh, in the area. But they came up with the name the Quarrymen because they all attended Quarry Bank High School. So they started this group in 1956, and then in 1957... A 15-year-old kid came and uh, met up with him. This kid, he was all right on the guitar, so they allowed him to play rhythm guitar for him. Uh, his name was uh, Paul McCartney. I'm not sure if you've heard of him either. And then in 1958, McCartney had another buddy who was pretty good on guitar, and, but he was only 15, um, but they allowed him to audition. Lennon thought he was a little bit too young for the group, but... It, the guy persisted for another month, and they finally let him play lead guitar. And this youngster's name was George Harrison. So we've got most of them all lined up already. And then by 1959, the rest of the Quarrymen had left the group because there were other members that John Lennon had originally started with. Um, but they, the other guys had left, so these three guys were out on their own now. And they called themselves Johnny and the Moondogs at this time. And so they're playing rock and roll, but whenever they could, uh, or they were playing rock and roll whenever they could find a drummer. Um, I'm not sure what they played when they couldn't find a drummer, but they eventually brought on a guy by the name of Stuart Sutcliffe to play bass guitar. And now they were going by the name the Beatles, but um, they were spelling it B E A T A L S instead of the normal B E A T L E S. But they actually came up with the name, and we talked about this in a previous episode, that they came up with the name The Beatles uh, as a tribute to Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Um, and before they changed it to the regular Beatles, though, they ended up changing their name to the Silver Beatles with the regular spelling. And finally, they just dropped the silver off and went with the regular, went with Beatles. And in all this name-changing time, they went on a brief tour of Scotland. Uh, they were playing backup for another pop singer. I don't remember exactly who it was, but he's not really important because he's not the Beatles. But at this time, they had an unofficial manager who had arranged residency for him in Hamburg. But they realized they needed a drummer, and so they hired a guy by the name of Pete Best in August of 1960. So they departed to Hamburg on a three-and-a-half-month residency, and they began playing there. Their first club that they started playing in was an old strip club that had been turned into a music club. So if those walls could talk. Uh, this was called the Indra Club, but it 
had to close uh, after a few months due to noise complaints. And since I enjoy Tangent so much, we're going to go on one for a second. They're playing music in an area where there are lots of strip clubs. It's also an area that's known for having scantily clad women sitting in shop windows selling their wares. And this club gets shut down because of noise complaints. (laughs) So that kind of tells you where the mindset of people was back in those days. But the club club owner, he ended up moving them to Kaiser Keller, which was another club that he owned. And uh, he ended up finding out that they had also been playing at the Top Ten Club. And he found out about this, and he gave them a one-month termination notice. He uh, wasn't too fiend on that. Um, He also reported about Harrison lying about his age in order to come to Hamburg. So Harrison ended up getting immediately deported. Uh, huh? I said, oops. Yeah. Then the club owner, uh, the guy who kicked him out, uh, McCartney and Best, set fire to a condom in a concrete corridor. So they got arrested and deported as well. Your mouth is gaping. Um, and then Lennon and Sutcliffe hung out for a while, but Lennon, he soon returned to Liverpool, uh, not too long after. Sutcliffe, he stayed in Hamburger for a few more months with his fiance, a guy by the name of Astrid Kircher. Uh, she was known for taking the first semi-professional photos of the Beatles, actually. But for the next uh, couple of years, they were part-time residents in Hamburg. They also started taking Preludin, Preludin at this time as well. Um, I didn't know what it was, so I looked it up, and Preludin is a stimulant drug that was created in 1952. Um, so there's a little something for you. They were taking this drug so they could uh, maintain their stage excitement and all that type of stuff. But anyhow, in 1961 is also when they came up with their well-known hairstyle that they had. Uh, Kircher had cut Sutcliffe's hair in that style and it kind of stuck and then the rest of them went with it. And so that's where that came about. But Sutcliffe, he... Pretty soon, he ended up leaving the band and returning to his art studies in Germany. Um, also, th- at this time, McCartney started playing bass guitar. Uh, they ended up being a backing band for a guy by the name of Tony Sheridan, and they got a contract with Polydor Records. So then in 1962, they were in their second stay in Hamburg, and they were gaining uh, pretty increasing popularity in Liverpool at the time. But they were getting tired of playing in the same nightclubs night after night. Uh, this is when they wound up meeting Brian Epstein, and I don't think it's any relation, but um, Epstein's not a real common name, and we know about Epstein who didn't hang himself in jail. But uh, they meet this guy, and he was a record store owner, and he liked what he heard from him, and he eventually ended up becoming their manager. He was also able to get them released from their contract with the club owner, and he set out on searching for record deals for him. And it was during this time that Kircher uh, met them at the airport on one of their trips to tell them uh, one of the times when they were flying out uh, to let them know of Sutcliffe's sudden death from a brain hemorrhage. But uh, that tore him up pretty bad for a little while. But Epstein was able to get them out of their contract with Polydor and tried to get them on with Decca Records. Uh, Decca didn't like them, or Decca didn't like them originally. He was saying that guitar groups are on their way out. But shortly after uh, Epstein, he kept at it, and he got them 
uh, he was able to get him signed with EMI Records after that. And not long after they had signed with EMI, they realized the best that best wasn't the drummer for the Beatles. It just really wasn't working out for him. So in mid-August of 1962, they ended up replacing him with a guy by the name of Ringo Starr. Not sure if you've heard of him or not. Uh, they recorded uh, Love Me Do with Ringo playing the drums. That was the first recording that he was on with them. But the producer that had gotten them in front of EMI Records, uh, he was named George Martin, and he wasn't overly impressed with Ringo at the time. So they ended up recording three more songs with a different drummer, but Love Me Do ended up being their first single, and it was released in October, and it reached number 17 on the record retailer chart. So uh, they kind of hit it off pretty big. Then by December of 1962, they were done with their Hamburg residency, and then in 1963, they decided that all four band members would be doing vocals on their songs, so everybody would be singing a little bit. Uh, Lennon, McCartney, Lennon and McCartney, they were writing songs, or all the songs for them at this time, but it seems they were still just a bunch of kids, pretty much. Uh, Epstein finally had to sit them down and have a talk with them. He was now their full-time manager at the time. And he told them that if they were going to make it big, they had to have a more professional approach, meaning he said they're going to have to stop eating on stage. They're going to have to stop swearing and stop smoking, which they all must have agreed to it because they were about to hit the big time. So early in 1963, they had a 10-song studio session to record their first album, Please Please Me. And this album also featured their previous singles that they had released. And once it was released, it hit number one of every UK chart except for the record retailer chart. And on that one, it actually peaked at number two. And this would be the first of 11 consecutive albums for them released in the UK to reach number one. So 11 times in a row, they were reaching number one with their albums. Um, and the singles from this album couldn't stay on the shelf. Everybody was... Uh, just buying them as quick as they they would come out. Their fourth single from the album reached about 750,000 sales in just four weeks, which was unheard of at the time. And this remained the biggest seller in the UK until 1978. So it maintained the top seller for 15 years. So that's pretty good. And then from there on, they just soared. They toured the country three times in the first half of the year. Uh, this is actually the part where Beatlemania came about, or this is when that term was first coined. Uh, they weren't even being listed as tour leaders at the time, but they were basically overshadowing everyone else that they were touring with. In October, they went on a five-day tour of Sweden, and upon their return to Heathrow, they were met by hundreds of fans, as well as about 50 to 100 journalists and photographers. Uh, and I think everybody's kind of seen the pictures of when these guys land. There's people all over the airport wanting to see them and things like that. Uh, and this thing, it, it happened on hundreds of different, different occasions. Pretty much any time they went somewhere, they were met with all these fans and whatnot. Uh, but people, they were getting so excited to see them, the police actually had to use fire hoses to control the crowd out for one of their concerts in Plymouth. Um, they came out and hosed everyone down. So their first album that they uh, released, it remained at number, or it really remained at number one for 30 weeks. It was only replaced by another album from the Beatles. This album stayed at number one for 21 weeks and stayed on the charts for another 40 weeks. So EMI was a UK label. Uh, 
they had an American subsidiary named Capitol Records, which refused to release their albums and the singles. Then there were some negotiations with independent labels that released some of their songs, but none of them worked out too well. It always kind of turned into a big fiasco. Uh, but Mr. Epstein, he was having none of this, so he ended up bringing a demo copy of I Want to Hold Your Hand to a Guy with Capitol Records, and he ended up signing them to a $40,000 marketing campaign. And a radio station in the U.S. It played I Want to Hold Your Hand in mid-December 1963, and it immediately took off. This song became a U.S. number one hit by mid-January. So it was first released in the U.S. in December, and by mid-January it was number one in the United States. So it was time for the Beatles to make their debut trip to the U.S. They left Heathrow with about 4,000 fans waving a goodbye to them, and they landed at JFK with about 3,000 fans greeting them. And they appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show with about 73 million people watching it from over 23 million households. The next morning, they had a pretty negative consensus amongst the U.S. people. Some people liked them, but a majority of the people didn't weren't too impressed with them, it seems like. But then a day later, Beatlemania erupted at a Washington Coliseum. Uh, the next day, they came back to New York and did two shows at Carnegie Hall, and then went to Florida and appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show again. This time it was watched by 70 million viewers, so they dropped 3 million viewers. Boo-hoo. Uh, they arrived in the U.S. on February 7th, and they returned to the U.K. on February 22nd. Uh, this trip, it actually, it did a bit to help the hearts of the U.S. Uh, people who were mourning the assassination of JFK. Because uh, that happened, what, in November 22nd or 23rd, I think it was? Uh, I wasn't around at the time. When was it? Uh, it allowed people kind of an outlet and not having to think about the president just having been murdered uh, this visit sparked what has been become known as the British invasion uh, it created an interest in the US for music from the UK uh, it kind of paved the way for a lot of other UK bands to come over like the Dave Clark Five the Animals um, Petula Clark I think was listed in there uh, so it kind of you know, obviously back then they didn't have the internet or anything, so if bands weren't being promoted over here, then nobody would hear about them. And she had a really, really good radio. But anyhow, during the week of April 14th, 1964, the Beatles held 12th position on the Billboard's Hot 100. So wow. out of 100 songs, they had 12 of them. And I think they were all ranked um, pretty high up there, actually. But once they were back in the UK, United Artists Records noticed a lack of interest in the band from Capitol Records, and they talked to their film division into making a three-motion picture deal with the band. So they ended up filming the Beatles in a comedy where they played themselves and called it, this was called A Hard Day's Night, and they eventually ended up releasing an album under the same name. And now their touring had started. In June and July of 1964, they ended up doing 37 shows in just 27 days. They toured from Denmark all the way to New Zealand. Uh, then in August and September, they came back to the U.S. and did about 30 shows in 20 cities. Uh, they also ended up meeting uh, Bob Dylan at the time, who we've done an episode on him. The meeting was arranged, and he met with them in their hotel room and introduced them to the Devil's Lettuce. So this is where they started uh, smoking the doobies. A short six months after the meeting, uh, people kind of noticed Lennon. Lennon started to kind of imitate Bob Dylan's, kind of his nasally singing style. And Dylan began adding electrical instruments to his music. And so it kind of worked out for both of them. During their tour of the U.S., they were invited to play at the Gator Bowl in Florida. 
uh, and this is kind of interesting, they were informed that the concert would be racially segregated, and they refused to play unless the crowd was integrated. And the city finally accepted their wishes, and it was an integrated crowd, which I think was the first time that that ever happened in Florida. And for future tours of the U.S., they put in their contract that they wouldn't do any of the shows if they were segregated, which I say bravo to them. I can't really imagine living in a time when this racial segregation was taking place, and it really kind of frustrates me that there's this black mark on American history. But anyhow, they had been releasing so much stuff that they were having to dig deeper into their backlog of songs that they hadn't recorded yet. Uh, Lennon even admitted that uh, the material is becoming a hell of a problem, is what he said. But not only had they released so much stuff, but it was also hard for them to spend time coming up with new material with their touring schedule. Then in 1965, uh, Lennon and Harrison and their wives, they were on a dinner date with... Lennon and Harrison and their wives were on a, a dinner date with their wives. And uh, that's kind of redundant. But anyhow, they also had Harrison's dentist along with them. And this guy secretly spiked their coffee with LSD. Yeah. I, Why I don't did know. your dentist go to dinner with you? I don't know. Have you seen the British teeth? No. Watch the Austin Powers. Oh. But anyhow, uh, he spiked their coffee with LSD this opened their eyes to a world they'd never seen before, um, which kidding. yeah, probably started making their material to come up with a little bit easier. Uh, they got Ringo to take it a few times. Uh, McCartney held out until late, ni- until late 1966 before he tried it, but Lennon and Harrison became pretty much uh, regular users of the drugs, and you can kind of, I mean, it kind of all makes sense. So then in 1965, the Queen of England made them members of the Order of the British Empire. Uh, And this sparked some controversy because this award, or whatever you want to call it, was usually only bestowed upon people like military leaders or civic leaders or something like that. It had never been given to a rock and roll band. So to protest this, some people that were already members returned their insignias, which I guess uh, that's their loss. But anyhow, that was a big uh, hoopla that took place with them. Later that year, the second movie with the Beatles uh, or had the Beatles starring in it came out, and it was it was called Help, and it seemed to be a spoof on the James Bond movies. Even the Beatles weren't too proud of it. Harrison said he felt like they were guest stars in their own movie, and in my own personal opinion, singers should just stick to singing and actors to acting. I haven't watched any of these movies, but I think they should have just stuck to singing, kind of like... Uh, the movies that Elvis made, he made some Love Me Blue or Love Me Tender, some some movie. He made a couple of them. But it's the only singers uh, that seem to do okay in the movie business are like the former rappers like Will Smith and whatnot. He's done pretty good in movies. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they should have just stuck to the singing, if you ask me. But anyhow, that ends up uh, bringing us up to their third, third tour of the U.S. And this tour opened with a concert at Shea Stadium and on August 15th of 1965 the stadium was electrified with 55,600 fans packed in there and this is said to be their most famous concert that they ever did and here's another tangent for you so when they were shutting down Shea Stadium uh Billy Joel he was holding a concert there 
and he was bringing back a bunch of the people that had played at Shea Stadium in the past, and they were uh, having a big old good old time there. This was before the days of COVID. And him and McCartney had evidently set it up for McCartney to sing a couple of songs at the uh, at this concert. And Billy Joel's cell phone went off, and it was Paul. And he said he wasn't going to be be able to make it because he was still in the air on a flight. And there was basically there was just no logistical way for him to get there in time to play at the concert. Well, uh, come to find out, somebody knew somebody else, and some phone calls were made. And they got through to the air traffic controllers at JFK to clear the airspace so Paul's flight could get in and land. He said he got off the flight the quickest that anyone else had. They rushed him through customs and security and all that, and he was met by police who rushed him outside. Then they had a police escort that took him to Shea Stadium. He said from the time he got off his plane till he arrived, it was something like, it was like 11 minutes. And then he goes to get in the golf cart in the back that's going to take him to the stage. And the driver of the golf cart was the same guy that drove the Beatles out on the field at their very first concert that they did at Shea Stadium. And when he arrived on stage, the place came unglued. One guy who was there that night, he said the building was actually shaking when McCartney came up on stage. And there's there's actually a video of it on YouTube. Um, if you look up uh, Billy Joel, Paul McCartney, I saw her standing there or something like that. There's a video of him playing at uh, Shea Stadium. And you can even see the members of Billy's band just loving the opportunity to get to play with him. And in, one of the, in the documentary about all that thing, he's, Billy Joel said that his band, they were, just, they were pretty happy that they got the opportunity to play on stage with Paul McCartney. But anyhow, getting back on track with these guys... Uh, they continued on with their tour to do nine more cities in the U.S. after the big Shea Stadium thing. And on this trip, they also met up with Elvis Presley, and he invited him back to his house at Beverly Hills. And it's pure speculation, but uh, can you imagine the amount of drugs that were probably consumed that night when they were hanging out in Beverly Hills with Elvis? Yeah. But So now, since they'd started working with Capitol Records, Capitol had complete control over what was being rele- released in the U.S., they would release singles basically as they wanted to, and it was all just kind of a mixed match. But in June of 1966, they released Yesterday and Today, and the cover of this album showed the Beatles in overalls with raw meat and mutilated plastic dolls. What? Yeah. And it was said that this was kind of a satirical showing, a satirical showing of how Capitol Records had butchered the U.S. versions of their albums. But that they said that, that was kind of more urban legend than actual truth. Um, the record being released was the truth, but the about a, them destroying their uh, U.S. versions. But they went back and put new covering over as many albums as they could. But somebody actually had an unopened uh, album with the original cover on it that went for ten point five million or ten point five thousand dollars at an auction in two thousand five. It was also in 1966 when it seems that uh, Lennon, he was starting to get a little big for his britches at this time. He said in an interview that Christianity would go away and that it would just up and vanish. Uh, this caused an uproar amongst Christians pretty much all over the world, and even the Vatican chimed in on this. Uh, this began getting the Beatles albums banned in some areas around the world. In response, Lennon said, If you want me to apologize, if that will make you happy, then okay, I'm sorry. Uh, not sure about you, but that doesn't seem too sincere to me. Hmm. 
uh, this tonight's the night for tangents because this reminds me of something else I heard once that there there's an old writer and uh, philosopher something named Voltaire and he said that in 100 years there will be no more that or there will be no more Bibles the only place that you could find them was in a library or in a warehouse or something like that well a hundred years passed by he was dead and the place where he was uh, staying at when he wrote that was uh, when he wrote those deals it was being used as a warehouse to store Bibles which I kind of find a little bit ironic. But finally, in 1966, the Beatles made their final tour. They had upped the amperage of their speakers and whatnot so they could hear, uh, so that their music could be heard over the screaming, screaming fans. But it's, it wasn't helping. They said that they were getting bored with performing live because it wasn't about the music anymore. Mm-hmm. So they said that their tour in August would be their last. And in the four years that they were touring, they had amassed around 1,400 performances internationally. Wow. So that's, a, that's like uh, four years. That's like a performance every day, pretty much. But anyhow, they weren't done with music. They went on to release Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which took over 700 hours to record. Uh, this album was way different than the others. They even had microphones stuck down in the horns of the brass instruments that were played to capture all the sound that was coming out of them. Then they went on to create a couple more movies. One was an hour-long special, and the other was an animated film. They also performed on a television show called Our World. This was viewed by over 350 million viewers worldwide, and it was the first worldwide TV link. Then on August 27th of 1967, they were phoned to let them to, or to let them know that Epstein had died. Uh, there were talks of it being an overdose, but there were also rumors of it being suicide. The overdose theory was the one that the coroner put out as his cause of death. And this hit the group pretty hard. Uh, this guy had kind of brought them up through the ranks, and now he was gone. But they still continued on, but this kind of started becoming the beginning of the end a little bit for him. In 1968, they traveled to India to go on a guided meditation retreat. And Ringo, he couldn't handle the food in India, so he left 10 days into it. McCartney, he got bored and left a month later. And Lennon and Harrison left a couple months after that, after it was claimed that the Maharishi, who was like putting on the retreat, was making sexual advances towards the women in attendance. But it was also said that during their time there, they were able to come up with numerous songs, and it was said to be one of their most prolific periods. But from May to October of 1968, they worked to come up with the White Album. And not to go off into a whole other tangent, but this is the album that's talked about whenever people are looking into Charles Manson. This is where Charles Manson got his helter-skelter ideas and stuff like that, I believe. But things weren't going well within the group. Uh, They were starting to bicker and argue back and forth. Uh, Lennon was bringing his girlfriend, uh, Yoko Ono, to their recording sessions. Uh, the Beatles had had a long-standing rule that no wives or girlfriends were allowed in while they were recording. And I'm not a huge fan of Lennon, and I think he may have the largest part to play in a lot of the issues that they were facing. I didn't put it all down here, but just reading through it, it seemed like Lennon was kind of creating a lot of the waves. And things kind of continued to go down from hill from there. Epstein was gone, so they were bickering over who was handling the business affairs. It was almost, it kind of seemed like he was a parent taking care of a bunch of kids and they couldn't take care of themselves without him. Finally, on December 31st of 1970, Mark, Mark, blah, 
McCartney filed suit for the dissolution of their contractual partnership. Mm-hmm. And it would take almost four years for this thing to be finalized. But it was actually formalized the day before I was born, actually. And uh, my mom took it so hard, I think it sent her into labor. But the members of the band, they went on to create solo albums. Uh, they would often have one or more of the other members accompany them on different songs. But Lennon, he wouldn't be creating any more solo albums after 1980 because he was shot and killed outside his apartment in New York. And all in all, it seems like the members, uh, they could keep a friendship after the breakup of the band. Um, kind of like those things where they could be friends but not work together anymore. And I think that's probably where I'm going to end it. Um, I hope this has been a pretty long episode and I hope I did them some justice. Um, I don't, like I've said before, I don't really enjoy the researching and the artists or researching the artists and the musicians and stuff like that. But this one is actually pretty fun going through all the different things and looking at, uh, different deals about the Beatles. And they really were, uh, they were the most iconic band probably ever. So like I say, hopefully I did them some justice. You got anything to say here at the end? You've been so vocal, it's hard to get a word in edgewise around you. I know. Nope, I'm good. But thanks for having me. Yep. Maybe you can come back again sometime. Yes. When you can uh, think of some more witty banter to say. Yes. But anyhow, uh, hope you guys enjoyed this one. I enjoyed it. Um, it's kind of nice having actually somebody else here uh, recording with me, just for the emotional support of it all, for all of my tens of listeners. But go out there and follow me on the Facebook page at Podcast from P-Town. Or you can follow me on Instagram at P-Town Podcast. Or you can send me an email at ptownpodcast 74 at gmail.com. That's it for this one. We'll see you on the next one.